so we're going through the Gospel of John, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Who's enjoyed it? Just pulling out some truths and different things in the Gospel. You know, it's easy to it's easy to get familiar, isn't it? And have that familiar spirit. If you've been a Christian a long time, you go, oh, yeah, I know the Gospels. I know the story about Jesus. I know what he did. I've read that account before and that account. But going, just going through it and just saying, God, give me fresh eyes. Open up my ears to hear and Holy Spirit speak to my heart. And you're, it's amazing, I think, as we've gone through the Gospel of John. And I've had different ones of you come up to me and say, I've never looked at it that way. Or I never thought about it in that way before. And so that's... That's just such a blessing to me because we're pressing in and digging in and reading the word like it's the first time we've read it. So can we just, as we come to the last chapter of John, just again, open up our hearts ready to receive. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, help us not to get too familiar with, with our faith and our belief and our, our reading of the word. Because God, we can do that so easily and slip into that. But open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts today to receive something fresh and new and powerful from your word today i pray in jesus name and everyone said amen. amen so john chapter 21 is all about jesus the commissioner now i'm not talking about a police commissioner uh, just in case your mind went there i'm talking about the commissioner who sends us out he says go into all the world and preach the gospel make disciples and so Jesus is a great commissioner. Now, I'm sure you've heard or read a book or you've heard a speaker, and it's probably been me at times, uh, but you know the kind of speaker that uh, says, okay, and to wrap up, I'm going to talk about this. And you think, oh, great, they're going to be done in about two, three, four minutes. Half an hour later, they're still wrapping up. Who's been in a meeting like that? We've probably had a couple here. Maybe it's more Anita than me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's my wife, Anita. And uh, she tends to go that way. But that's all right. We love that because it's the Holy Spirit, right, speaking through her, making her go for an extra hour. It's all good. So John fits this category because we just finished John chapter 20. And at the end, it kind of feels like it ends, right? It kind of feels like it's the end because you've got this purpose statement that, that John makes. And we're going to revisit it again. Let's go here. John chapter 20, verses um, 30 to 31 says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I don't know about you, but that sounds like that's the purpose, the whole reason I've written this book. Put a full stop, close the chapter. Uh, but that's not actually the case, because sometime later, John actually adds this epilogue. It's kind of the, and just to wrap up, <laughs> let me just write a whole other chapter of stuff that I haven't included yet. It's like a concluding section in chapter 21. And he's got several reasons for doing it. Uh, that John hadn't mentioned Jesus' appearance to Peter, um, although Luke did. So I think, he, I don't know whether he saw that, or I don't know how it worked, the timeline of everything, but he probably just thought that's a really important bit of information to put in there, again, to prove that Jesus is risen. Because um, the previous two accounts of Jesus being seen that he recorded were in the upper room. So it'd be easy for people to go, oh, that was just whatever. You know. So he wants to show that he's out on the open on the beach and we're about to read the account. Uh, but I think the, the other thing, without this epilogue, this chapter 21, without it, we're kind of left hanging 
in regards to Simon Peter's relationship with Jesus. Because remember, he denied Christ three times. And so you're kind of left hanging. So it's like, are they like frenemies now? Or, you know, how's it, how's it working? Is, is Jesus still upset at Peter? Or is, did things get resolved? And so that gets addressed in this chapter as well. Um, John also fills in the details about uh, Jesus' forgiveness of Peter and, and in his denying Christ three times. And we're going to read that as we go through this chapter. There's also this weird rumour going around. How many of you love rumours? We live in a small town. Rumours happen, right? You know, oh, did you hear that so-and-so? You know, it's Chinese whispers are not true. But there's like this rumour going around that John would not die before Jesus returned. And, and so John wanted to refute that as well because that's not true, obviously. So let's get into it. If you've got your Bibles, John chapter 21. It'll be on the screen as well, but I encourage you to look up the Scriptures. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And uh, verses 1 to 3 is where we're starting. So after these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And he met in the house that are like that, you know, I'm tired, I'm bored, I'm saying, go on fishing. Yeah, good on you. There's one honest man in the church. Good job. Uh, so he says, I'm going fishing. And uh, they said to him, we're going with you also. <laughs> we were just waiting for you to say it. No, but we're going to come too. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. <laughs> Who's had a time like that? You've gone fishing. Now there's some more people, more hands going up. And you're like, oh, I'm just so excited about going fishing. Not a nibble all night. But it's relaxing, right? You've had your peace and quiet. You've gotten away. It's all good. That's why we do the fishing, just to... Ah, serenity now. Uh, unless you're an aggressive fisherman and if you don't catch something, you're getting angry. But that's, I'll pray for you at the end. So, so in other words, follow the fisherman. So Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. All the other boys, yeah, we're going to go fishing too. Let's go fishing. So Jesus had risen from the dead and was appearing to his followers before returning to heaven. And one of these appearances is in front of these seven uh, disciples, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, brothers James and John, who, whose father was Zebedee, and two others by the Sea of Tiberias. The disciples must have felt lost as to what to do next. You know, because they've seen Jesus in the upper room a couple of times, and uh, Jesus had told them he would meet them in Galilee, although he didn't give a specified date. The kind of world we live in now, we like to be organised, don't we? That's in my calendar, so that's it. Alison's my calendar lady. We've got we're with that, we know that's happening on that day, and at this time that's happening, and, then, and it's structured and organised, right? So who likes not having structure and just waiting and seeing? And there's a few of you, that's good, that's good. But most of us are like, oh, I just want to, when is it happening? Like, when's the party? When's Jesus come? I want to know. Like, like I've got to be ready. I just want to, you know, it's like Jesus' second coming, we're waiting for him to return. Can it be today, please? You know, we just got that many issues going on, can we just go and just be out here and be with the Lord Jesus? Why can't it be today? We want, to, we want to know the time, don't we? But the Bible tells us we don't know the time. We can know the season, certainly in that season. Uh, lots of signs and things happening around the world to identify the season. But we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't, we don't have an exact time. And so for some people that's frustrating. And obviously the disciples were feeling a little bit lost. They're like, how long is this going to take? Like, do we just sit around? What do we do? And so 
They returned to Galilee, they waited for him, and, and they're talking amongst themselves, and nothing on the agenda, because they didn't really want to make plans, because Jesus said to me in here, and Peter decided to take the lead, as, as Peter does, and says, I'm going fishing. And the others, the others followed right behind him. Oh yeah, we'll come too. We're a bit over sitting around here. And, and night, fishing, night fishing is usually profitable. You do usually catch something. But on this night, they caught nothing. Sounds like a bit of a repeat of history, doesn't it? When we think back to the start of the Gospel of John. And they went fishing and they caught nothing. Nothing at all. See, Peter and the other disciples obeyed the Lord's instructions and went to Galilee where they waited for Jesus to join them. And, and they waited and they waited and they waited a bit more. Who's patient in the room? Come on, that, that, no, no hands. Are you patient, really? Okay, God bless you. Can I have what you're having? Patience is one of the most challenging things we ever wrestle with. Waiting. When's it going to come? God, when is my breakthrough coming? When are you going to answer that miracle? I've been praying for 20 years for that thing and it still hasn't come to pass. When is it coming? I'm starting to think it's never going to come, but I think God wants to speak to some of us today and say, have hope. Hold on to hope in Christ because it's coming. That thing you've been believing for is coming. That breakthrough is going to happen. That chain's going to be broken. Jesus is coming to meet you where you're at to bring what you need. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. If you believe that, say amen. 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 So impulsive and, and compulsive Peter decides, I've had enough from going fishing. He's not the type to just sit around idly. He had challenges with patience. He doesn't sit around reading magazines, watching Netflix, all of that. The, the tablet was broken. Uh, but he decides to go fishing with the boys. And, and he takes them all on this, on this fishing trip. In the hope that they're going to catch fish, of course. I just wonder this. The Bible doesn't say this, but I just wonder. I wonder if Jesus delayed joining his disciples in Galilee on purpose, just in order to test their patience. I don't know. It doesn't say that. It's the Bible according to PJ. The kids call me PJ if you're visiting today, Pastor Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy is way too formal. Everyone call me PJ. Say, hey, PJ. Hey, there you go. Half of you call me PJ. There's always one rebel. It's your brother. Do you know he's a rebel? Yes, I'll talk to you more later then, brother. It's all good. Anyway, <laughs> I just wonder if he was just seeing how patient they would be, what their commitment would be to being obedient and just waiting for the Lord. But if that was the case, Peter's failed again because he's already denied Christ three times and now he's tired of waiting, so he's gone fishing. So he, he needs the Lord's forgiveness, amen? We all do, we all do. Let's keep going. Verses 4 to 6 says this. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered, No. And he, listened, and he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to draw it in because the multitude of fish... Full of fish. Who likes fish? Yeah, come on. So full of fish is appealing. Who doesn't like fish? All these hands didn't go. Who's sitting on the fence? This whole side. Anyway, you add the right spices and herbs and hollandaise sauce. And, uh, anyway. Garlic butter. Come on. Someone. Come on. Who's hungry now? Right, I better finish quickly. So they've had a wasted night of fishing. 
They've caught nothing. Like I said, very familiar. Standing there was a man that they didn't recognise. That's interesting too. Perhaps it was their tiredness. Maybe it was the early morning haze. Maybe it was the lack of light or the fact that their minds were on fishing or the fishless boat they were coming back in. And they weren't expecting Jesus to appear there and then. But also remember at the tomb where Mary saw Jesus, she didn't recognise him at first either. The Bible doesn't say this or why, but, but who knows? Maybe it was just that he looked a little different. Maybe their heart just wasn't ready to see Christ there. I, I, we don't know. Uh, but all we know is that at first they didn't recognise him. And then when they were close, Jesus asked if they had caught any fish. They'd come in a bit and Jesus yells out to them. And they hadn't. So Jesus tells them, throw your net out over the starboard side. And when they obeyed, the net filled up with so many fish they couldn't contain it. Again, this wasn't the first time that this miracle had happened. And the other miracle is that the nets didn't break. Isn't that interesting? Each time Jesus has come and said, cast your nets, and they've caught this bountiful load of fish, the nets didn't break. That tells me that our God provides for all of our needs. And he provides the vessel for it to be contained. He gives you what you need. He gives you the, the, the miracle that you're believing for in time. I, I think this happens so that the disciples would see without God we can do nothing. Because both times when they've gone fishing before they'd encountered Jesus, no fish. And then simply at the word of the Lord, cast your net on the other side. A bountiful harvest comes and the nets don't break. Let's look to Christ for that thing that you're believing for. Like I said, there's probably people in the room that have been praying for 20 years for something and it hasn't come yet. Can I encourage you to stir your faith today? Start praying like you did 20 years ago for that thing and trust the Lord that he's going to give you the harvest, that the nets are going to get full to overflowing, but they're not going to break because you're going to be able to contain what God gives you because he's going to provide the vessel for you to hold that thing, whatever that means for you. Jesus provides where we can't provide for ourselves. And he does this in this example here. See, the net filled with fish is a promise. Who's got a promise that they believe God's put on their life, on their heart? For whatever it is you're facing, you've got this promise, and it might not have come to pass yet, but this fish-filled net is like a promise. And it's Jesus' way of saying, don't worry, I can and will continue to meet every material need that you have. I have the power. He's the name above every name. We've worshipped him today so amazingly, declaring that, that he is worthy, and he is the name above every name. The disciples would soon set out on the most insecure journey of their lives. They're about to become evangelists traveling. And they don't have, they're not cashed up with money or they're going to have to trust in the Lord to provide for their every need their food, their shelter, safe passageway wherever they go, protection uh, in each city that they visit. So these skilled fishermen had practiced their trade all night to catch fish, but they caught nothing. But a single word from Jesus fills their nets. That's all it took. See, too often we're like these disciples. We're trying to do things in our own strength. We've all been, we've all been there. Some of us are there now. 
and we're struggling and we're striving and we're planning and we're budgeting and we're whatever it is. We're trying to do whatever it is in our own strength. But when we make decisions, we need to pray. We need to ask for God's wisdom, for his input, for his direction, for him to lead us, for him to give us that wisdom to make good choices rather than just doing the natural thing. And, I mean, I don't want to be sexist here, but guys, we're problem solvers. I mean, ladies are too. But we, wives probably know when you go to talk to your husband, they try and fix the problem. Uh, but we need to just listen and take on board and empathise and, oh, honey, come here, let me give you a cuddle. And, and, and just, it's okay, it's going to be, I'm here for you. You just tell me, speak sweet nothings into my ear. Okay, went to another place. But we do, we need to just listen sometimes when we're busy trying to fix the problem. Now, there are some ladies in the room that might be like that too. What I'm trying to say is sometimes rather than jumping straight to our default uh, settings, which is to fix the problem, Maybe we need to reset those default settings to pray, to actually take it to the Lord in prayer and trust Him for the solutions and for the answers. You know, it wasn't until Jesus told the disciples where to fish that they caught any. And so we need to hear from the Lord. We need His direction, His encouragement, that sweet, still voice, cast your net on the other side. And then the harvest came. When we reach the end of our own resources, He's standing by to share his. But can we be a people that doesn't just wait till we've reached our wit's end and our end of our resources and then turn to God? Can we just get ahead of the game a little bit? It's hard because in the natural, you think, oh, I've got what I need to solve this problem. But can we just be people that don't get to the end of our tether, but rather back it up and maybe right back at the start, pray. Jesus, help me. Father God, give me wisdom. Lead me in this challenging time. I need your help. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 7 to 9. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, or they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, it says, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Now you really are getting hungry because we're talking about breakfast on the beach. Come on. Garlic, butter, fish, all of that stuff. Hollandaise sauce. So good. Here's the thing. John was the first to recognise Jesus. And it, it may have been the repeat catch of fish that did it. You know, the penny drops. Hang on, this is all very familiar. Deja vu, whatever. This has happened before. I know who that is. Perhaps it was Jesus' voice. Again, we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. Whatever the reason, he turned to Peter and identified the man on the shore as their Lord and their Master. And when Peter heard that, he was so excited that he put on his robe. I don't, do you think Peter thought much before he did things? No, he cut the ear off and he, did, he just jumps in. Like, when you go for a swim, what do you do? You... Take it off, right? So what does he do? He puts it on. Let's put the coat on and let's jump in the water. I'm sure the swim would have been much more challenging with the outer garment on. But anyway, he was... Hopefully, maybe. Who knows? The, again, the Bible doesn't tell us. All we can do is speculate. But when Peter heard it, he was so excited. He puts the robe on. He dives in to swim to shore. And I reckon if he'd been thinking clearly, clearly he might have made a different choice, perhaps. Who knows? Who knows? Peter stepped out of the water 
after hoping to walk on it. <laughs> Weighed down with his dripping wet clothes. And although Jesus had already appeared privately to Peter in the upper room, there's no doubt Peter at some point, whether it was there on the beach, whether it was in the upper room, there's no record of it. But I think Peter would have confessed his sin. Lord, I'm so sorry that I denied you three times. I'm so sorry. It doesn't say it again. We're speculating. We're speculating. So maybe this was an awkward moment for Peter, coming up to the Lord and, wow, I remember what I did. Maybe he was embarrassed by the fact that he'd gone fishing instead of waiting. Oops. <laughs> Let's go fishing. It was his idea. All the other boys were thinking it. They just didn't say it. Who's had that happen before? You've said something and you're the one that's held accountable for it. But everyone else in the room thought it too. But then all of a sudden when the heat's on, they're like, oh, no. Anyway, God bless those people in your life. Maybe Peter was just overjoyed to see his Lord and his friend again. And so he was just pumped. And that's why he dove in. He's like, I'm not waiting for this slow boat. Get me there. I'm going to swim faster than this boat. Again, we can only speculate. But while Peter stood there, the rest of the crew rowed in or sailed in and dragging in the net that didn't break, filled with fish. When they hit the beach, they noticed Jesus had built a campfire and was charboiling fish for breakfast. Come on. It's no coincidence that there was a fire. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. Peter plunges into the water, swims to the shore, stumbles out, wet and shivering, stands in front of his friend that he betrayed. And for one of the few times in his life, Peter was actually silent for a bit there. He was quiet. What words would suffice in this moment? What words could you use? I'm just sorry. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know. What, what would you say? You'd, you'd be speechless. You'd be crying. You'd be a mess. What do you say in a moment like that? It's just you and God. You and God both know what you did. And neither of you is proud of it. What do you do? What do you say? Yeah, that would work. You might want to consider what doing what Peter did. He stood in God's presence, dripping wet. He was just there. And he was just still and he just waited. Sometimes we need to do that. I'm sure God's up in heaven sometimes. Just wishing we would just be quiet for a minute. <laughs> just stop talking. Let me get a word in. We don't like those awkward silences sometimes. Especially in big gatherings like this. We try and fill it, you know, with keyboard sounds and someone saying something or whatever because you go, silence can be awkward because it's really confronting. And that's what I think Peter experienced here, a real confronting moment. God is in front of me. I've done these things. I feel like rubbish. I just want to be this big and hide under a rock. <laughs> We've all been there. We've all felt like that before. Let's talk about the fire. This is the second mention of a charcoal fire. The first mention is back when Peter denied Christ three times. It's appropriate for this scene, for Jesus to have this fire, and for this scene for Peter to be restored. It's so appropriate. Peter had denied Christ three times at the first fire. But then, and we're going to read it as we move on in this chapter, he's affirmed his love for the Lord three times when Jesus asked him. We're actually not touching on it today. It'll be next week. 
but we see where Peter is restored again by the fire. And that's really, really significant. The Holy Spirit is fire and he's filled in that moment again and he's restored again. That's what happens when we come to God humbly in that awkward moment where we know the wrong thing we've done. We know we're not deserving. We know we just, we've just done the wrong thing too many times and we feel so guilty and so ashamed that God comes and breathes on us. And I'd imagine there's a fire there as well. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he just fills you again. He goes, get up, go again. It doesn't matter what you've done. Get up and go again. Repent from your sin, literally turn away and go again. Trust me to fill you and give you the strength. Hold your head up high because I bore your shame. I took away the shame that you're experiencing. I died so that you could be free from that chain. And I just feel there's some people in this place today that you've carried shame for too long. And, and maybe it's been in secret. Maybe it's just between you and your spouse. I don't know. But I just feel God, as I was preparing this message it's going to set some people free in this room today from shame. Because there's no more condemnation for you when you're in Christ Jesus. But you've got to have that transformation and belief in your heart and mind. Because it's so easy to hold on to shame because it's a familiar place. And I felt like that and, and that's just how I'm always going to be. But no, God wants to release you from your shame. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what choice you've made or the mistakes that you've made. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And we say all these words, but today people are actually going to believe it and something's going to shift in your heart today. And you're actually going to believe, for, finally, that you are released from shame in Jesus' name. That's coming. That's coming before we finish today. That's good to hear. That's awesome. And we want to see many people experience that today. All right, that's all. I didn't read that one. Verses 10 to 11. Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. Interesting that he counted them. Who's been on a fishing? Okay, some people put their hand up and admitted they've been fishing. Who come back, be honest now, and you said, my fish was this big. Hey, <laughs> eh? You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, it was, yeah. Anyway, he's counted how many fish. And it just also says, and although there were so many, the nets were not broken. It also says 153, oh, there it is, full of large fish. So it's not just these little, they <laughs> big ones. So they're dragging the net behind, the net's not breaking. It's just another miracle that Jesus has done. You know, when Jesus asked for some of the freshly caught fish, Peter was the first one to volunteer the bring, to bring in the miraculous catch ashore. So he's had his moment with God. And then he races off to bring in this big net of fish. Uh, John was careful to record the exact number of fish and also to mention that they were large and that there was truly an overabundance because he's a fisherman. <laughs> he was proud of the catch, even though it was uh, at Jesus' word. A fisherman still gets excited about how big, how many, all of that. So the catch was so big, it really should have torn the net, but it didn't. We've covered that. God provides the vessel that you need to bring in the harvest that he wants to pour out into your life. But only a fisherman would have been so impressed to write those details uh, in the Gospel um, of John. So if Peter hauled that catch ashore, he, Peter's buff, yeah? I know we've seen The Chosen, 
and uh, many of you have seen the chosen. He doesn't look so buff. He's a bit of a bean pole, isn't he? But but uh, he, to carry a full net of fish, that's about three hundred pounds. What's that in kilos? Two point two, about one hundred and forty kilos, something like that. If I'm doing my maths right, that's that's heavy. And so he's he's got guns. Twenty-two point seven kilos, fifty pounds. Yeah, something like that. So there you go. So you just do the sums and work that out. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, but you've got to also think there was the fish, there was the wet weight, because you know when things are wet, there's a bit more weight in it as well. Um, it, it was heavy. It was heavy and he's carried that in. So he's buffed and brought those, those fish in. Let's keep going, verses 12 to 14. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. We're hungry, let's go and eat. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Sound familiar? Bread and fish, loads and fishes. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Breakfast is served. I haven't got it there. That's all right. Breakfast is served. Now, before talking with Peter, Jesus met his physical needs. So they haven't had the do you love me conversation yet. Because Jesus, first and foremost, is taking care of physical needs. They've been out all night. They've been fishing. They're hungry. And so he's got breakfast on for them. He's providing for their physical needs. He's giving them time to dry off after his swim in his coat. Lord help him. Uh, chance to warm up by the fire and just to relax and just to get comfortable. Now, Jesus didn't go right in and he just He's given time to just... Relax, have something to eat, get dry. And by this time, the disciples have all figured out now that the man on the beach was Jesus. They all know who he is. And, and, and as if it needed any more convincing, to confirm his identity, he offers them loaves and fishes. And, and their mind goes back to recalling the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus multiplied bread and fish and used his disciples to pass the food out to the crowd. See, John noted that, noted that this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. The first two times were in the upper room. Now, Peter had recently failed Jesus by denying him three times. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've been under pressure and under the pump. and Maybe you haven't necessarily denied Christ, but maybe you haven't spoken up when you could have. All of us could probably relate to that. There have been times where we're going to rock the boat. So Jesus is now giving him another chance because he's the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. And he's coming to meet him. He's sharing a meal. It's just a powerful moment and it's a great exchange, I believe, this moment between Jesus and Peter. You know, Jesus forgives those who are sorry and who genuinely love him. And as you read the account of Peter beyond this point, you know he loves Jesus. You know he made a silly mistake. But we make silly mistakes, don't we? No, no never? Oh, there's one perfect person in the church. <laughs> we all make mistakes. We've all fallen short. The Bible tells us we've all sinned. And, and, and when we've made mistakes, and when we've done the wrong thing, sometimes we carry scars. Some of them are physical scars, and um, I'm not going to do a parade of physical scars. Some people probably have them in places where we just don't need to see. But 
They've got physical scars. A lot of the time, the scars are internal. There's a scar in your heart because of something you've encountered and experienced. So if we can get the lights, Russell, I want to finish uh, with a video this morning that speaks to the idea of scars. Just have a look. great exchange isn't it the video says all scars tell a story and they do right across across this room we've got close to 120 people in the room today you've all got a story and some of you your scars are external and they're covered up by clothing or or, or whatever but for many of you your scars are internal your scars are on your heart perhaps they're on your mind memories and you carry those scars, those stories. Because all scars tell a story. Ours are stories of pain and brokenness. But God's 
our story of forgiveness and healing. I don't thank you, but I'm so glad we've got a Saviour that bore scars on our behalf, that we could have forgiveness and healing of the memories and the things that have happened to us, the things that we've carried for so long. Maybe some people in the room are still carrying it. Like I said, we're going to have a moment shortly where we're going to do the great exchange and you're going to release shame. You're going to release pain. You're going to let it go because it's been dealt with at the cross, friend. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. All God says is bring your pain, your struggling, your strife, the burdens that you carry, lay them at my feet. Release them. Let them go. Because at the cross, Jesus died for all of our sin, pain, shame, guilt, anything we've ever done that's been not of God. He releases us from, he releases us from that the moment we say yes to Jesus. The moment we accept him as our Lord and Saviour. It's on the screen, folks, Romans 10 verse 9. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. That means that pain, shame, guilt no longer has a stronghold on us anymore because Christ has a hold of us and he makes us a new creation. We become like new. I said it last week, the greatest old for new insurance policy you can ever have is Jesus Christ. It's so much better than trading in the old car for a new one if you need to with insurance. You're trading in your old self. You're turning away. You're repenting from the life that you once lived. You're calling upon the name of the Lord. You're believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it's new version of you. It's you 2.0. You get to start afresh. Because God's scars are a story of forgiveness and healing. And for all eternity, his scars will continue to tell the story, not yours. The moment you do that great exchange and you allow God to come into every space of your life, your heart, your mind, your emotions, everything that you carry, when you allow God to come in, this great exchange happens and you don't have to hold on to that pain, that shame, that, that guilt that depression, that thing that brings you down, you can let it go in Jesus' name because it's a great exchange. That means you don't, there's no returns on this policy. And so when you make that exchange, it's gone and dealt with forever. You trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and you don't hold on to those old things anymore. It's a beautiful exchange. And I want to invite people in this room to do that today as we gather around communion. You know, communion is a celebration of what Christ has done for us. His body broken. His blood poured out. The scars left behind. The nail prints in his hands and feet. The whipping he endured. The beating. That's a lot of scars. That's a lot of scars. And he did it for you. Because God so loved the world so much, he sent Jesus, his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. That means we don't live in that place anymore of shame and guilt and condemnation because he doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to have everlasting life, but that doesn't mean that life will be all great. We're in heaven. He wants you to have a great life in this life now. 
And we can only do that by going through this great exchange. Communion reminds us of what he's done for us, that his scars are for our forgiveness and for our healing. And so as we take communion today, I don't want it to just be another little, let's take a bit of bread, let's take a bit of juice, and and let's get familiar with communion because we do it every week here. No, 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 no. I pray against the spirit of familiarity right now. And I call on each and every one of you to realize what you are about to do is a great exchange. You are taking on the body and the blood of our Lord Christ Jesus, who has made a way for us to be released from pain, guilt, shame, suffering. You're remembering what he's done for you. And when we do this great exchange, there's no returns. So let's stand in his presence this morning. And if that's you, I've been speaking and your heart's been fluttering. (laughs) You know that you've got some shame, you've got some guilt, you've got some condemnation. Well, God's doing business with you today. And I want you to take it really seriously. Because he wants to remove that from you permanently today. And I believe, because communion is so powerful because of what it represents and what Christ has done, that as we partake in communion today, it's not just remembering what Christ has done, it's knowing that what he's done has changed us forever. And that every chain is broken, every condemnation and guilt feeling in your heart and mind is released, and that you would leave this room today free in Jesus' name. Now let's take and eat and drink and do this amazing exchange together this morning. room and particularly for people that have been burdened with shame burdened with condemnation with guilt carrying it for so many years well I believe by the power of your Holy Spirit they are loosed today that they are made free that every chain is broken that today is a new day this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it why because of what you've done for us Father God, I pray that you loose every chain, that you break every chain of guilt, break every chain of condemnation, of shame. Lord, we can hold our heads up high in the knowledge that you took our burdens on the cross and that you made us free from our past. Lord, we refuse to allow the enemy to have a foothold and a stronghold in that area of our life anymore. And we say you're under our feet. You are defeated. And you will not bring down children of the Most High God anymore. We pray for people to be loosed and free in this place today. In Jesus' name. And together we all agree. Amen. Amen. God is good. And all the time. Oh Lord, you are so good. Can we just declare this song as we sing? Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. 
great exchange. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way. Come on, lift your hands and sing to him. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you everything. I give you my soul. week. 